Thank you for all that he has done for us. And we ask that as we turn to your word now that you would teach us, teach us more of this Jesus, teach us more of this King above all kings, that we might treasure him above all. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. Uh, it's great to see you. My name's John T, for those who don't know. Um, and we're going to turn to God's word now. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to go from verse 4 right to the end of the chapter. So Philippians 4, let me uh, just read that first, and then we'll explore it together. So it's page 1180 in the Church Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. So this was written by a man called Paul, and he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, but I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Well, this afternoon as we look at um, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to see a secret. And everyone loves secrets. Right, everyone loves to be told a secret. Someone says, I've got a secret I want to tell you. Then that's exciting. And everyone wants to know what's in Granny's secret uh, pasta sauce. But it's a secret because it's an ingredient she doesn't tell you. Well, Paul has got a secret for us this afternoon that he wants you to know. And it's a pretty important secret. Look at it there in verse um, 12. Halfway through verse 12 he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That's a pretty big secret. 
What is this secret that Paul is going to tell us? What is it that Paul wants the Philippians, as he finishes this letter, what is it he really wants them to know? Well, before we get to the secret, I just want to show you um, the opposite of the secret, which is often what we feel and often what we're told in our world. What we're often told in our world is that the way to succeed in life, the way to be content, the way to achieve is you've got to believe in yourself. That's the big message of our world, right? You've just got to believe in yourself. This is Disney. This is everything that we get told over and over again. I, was, um, I went to a school assembly once, and my children, one of my children was singing. And he stood at the front and with all his little classmates, and they sang a song. And it was a uh, beautiful song. Um, and I, I, in some ways, the only way to, to help you to feel the beauty of it is to... Um, reenacted a little bit for you. So I'm going to sing you this song. Don't panic. I've got a backing track and everything. Uh, I'm going to sing this song. I want you to listen very carefully to the words, right? Because I think this sums up lots of what we're told about uh, how you're to live. Right, we ready? Okay, right. I'm eight years old, okay? I'm quite nervous because I've got my mummy here. When I look up to the stars... There's a power deep inside me. I can feel the dream is coming from my heart. Hang on. There's a something I can sense. Yes, that's right. Deep inside a dream to drive me. And I know, don't laugh, that I am reaching for my goal. Okay, here comes the chorus. This is a good bit. I can do anything at all. I can climb the highest mountain. I might be enjoying this too much. I can feel the ocean calling wild and free. I can be anything I choose. With this dream to drive me onward. If I can just believe. In me. Right, that's enough. Stop it. That's plenty of that. Right, okay. Listen. <laughs> Don't mock. Now, listen. It was a very emotional moment. All the kids are singing. Right, what, I look around. What are all the parents doing? All the parents are crying. All of them crying. Mrs. Ballantyne, the head teacher, she's crying. The school teacher's crying. The kids are looking, going, What is wrong with you adults? It was a very powerful moment. And I sat there as a dad, and I promise you, I felt really angry. And I was angry because not one word of that song is true. It is all a lie. It's not true that these children can be anything they want. It's not true. It's not true that they just have to believe in themselves, and then they can be anything. And I looked at them, and I looked at these kids, such cute kids singing their little hearts out. I thought, we are not preparing them for the real world. We're not preparing them to fail. We're not preparing them to be mediocre or average. See, who wants to be average? And yet, here's the thing, right? By definition, most people are going to be average. It has to be that way. That's just the way statistics work. And yet, if you set before kids... This dream that you can do anything, you can be extraordinary, nearly all of them will fail. That's not kind. So I was angry. 
And yet this is everywhere. You just have to believe in yourself. You just have to believe in yourself. If we keep telling a younger generation that they are special, by which special means you deserve to be treated differently to everyone else, right? You grow up with a generation who believe that they're entitled to be treated differently because that's what they've always been told. We're not preparing our kids to be mediocre. Geraint Thomas um, just won the Tour de France. And in his winning interview after he'd finished, they asked him, you know, what, have you got any, you know, what, what, what do you think? And he said this, kids, he addressed the kids, kids, with hard work you can do anything you want. You can achieve anything. It sounds so good, but it's not true. Because he won the Tour de France and thousands of other people didn't. Who wanted to? They worked hard, but they didn't achieve. He is just an exceptional human being as an athlete. So I think we've got to not be sucked in by this lie that says just believe in yourself. Have confidence in yourself. It's all about you. You can do it. You can do anything you want. I think what the Bible says is better than that by a mile. And what the Bible says is not, I'll just be mediocre and don't dream anything. The Bible says, have dreams, have ambition, go for it, have big ambitions. But here's the thing, don't believe in yourself, believe in Christ. Let me just show you, that's what Paul says, that's the secret that Paul wants you to see. Have a look at it. What's the secret? It's there in verse 19. I can do, I can't look at this, Paul, I can do and I can do all this but not by believing in me. Through him who gives me strength. And then he says exactly the same thing in different language in verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's all found in Christ Jesus. Now let's just uh, look at that verse 19 carefully with me. This is why this is such good news. Look at verse 19. See the language? What are we told? We are told that in Christ Jesus, all the riches of God's glory are. That's a lot. See, the problem with me is that I'm limited. I'm limited in my power. The reason I can't do anything I want, because to be honest, I wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter. That was it. And I failed. So now I'm a pastor which I'm very happy about. It's a joy, it's a joy, and I've got some sticky back plastic, and I'll do a little demonstration. I'm limited in my power. I can't do stuff. There's things I can't do. I'm limited in my power. Not only am I limited in my power, I'm limited in my wisdom. There's things I don't understand. There's things I don't know. I don't know. And I'm limited in my time. I'm getting older. Time is running out. And so here is me, a limited human being, but now look at Christ. In Christ Jesus, God has put all of his riches in Christ. There is no limit to the power that exists within Christ. So the God who created all of the universe just by speaking, the God who said, let there be light, suddenly, boom, there was light. And everything, the whole of creation came into being through God's powerful word. That powerful, creative power, all of it has been placed in Christ. The riches of God's glory are in Christ. There's no limit to the power that God has placed in Christ. 
very God who brought his people out of slavery, God's people slaves in Egypt, God came with his mighty right hand and he rescued them and he brought them through the Red Sea and he saved his people and redeemed them. That same saving power is now found in Christ. God has placed all of his saving power in Christ. There's no limit. All of God's wisdom, all of God's knowledge, all of eternity, all of infinity, all of it is placed in Christ. There is no limit there. And God has placed all of his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Why? To meet your needs. To meet your needs. So that you do not have to be believing in a limited short-term, weak, foolish being, and instead can believe and trust in an eternal, infinitely powerful, infinitely wise being. In Christ Jesus. And so this is the secret that Paul wants us to see as he finishes his letter. Stop believing in yourself and start believing in Christ. God has placed all of his riches in Christ for you. Now, for some of us this afternoon, that starts with saying, okay, that means I need Jesus to save me. For some of you, that's, you're sitting here, you say, I'm not a Christian. I'm still living, believing in myself. Well, God is saying to you, stop it. Stop believing in yourself because you are limited. And all power is in Christ Jesus, and he is standing here saying to you, trust me, trust me, I'll save you. I died on a cross to forgive all your sin. I'll give you, I'll give, I'll save you completely. Trust me. And maybe that's for the first time you need to do that this afternoon. Or maybe it's for the thousandth, thousandth time. But God is saying to you, listen again. And believe in yourself, believe in Christ. And that's really it. I mean, that really is uh, pretty much my, my talk, my, my sermon this afternoon. It's just one point. All of God's riches in Christ for you. That's it. Now, I do have six uh, applications of that. What we're going to do now is we're just going to go through the passage that I read. I'm going to show you six ways in which God's power in Christ for you will transform everything. Now, what we're going to do is read it. Okay, This isn't difficult. And I've got six things that we're going to see, six applications. Now, I reckon that these six applications, if you try and take all of these six applications and try and work on all of them, they will prob- it's too much. It will blow your brain. So I suggest, as you sit here now, you pray that God would particularly put his finger on one, maybe one or two things that he wants you to, that he this afternoon is saying, come on, let's work on this. Trust me in this. So why not just do that? As we're, as we're going through, you're praying, is this the one? Okay, I think I'm okay on that. I'm doing okay on that. Oh man, that's really challenging. Maybe take one or two of these away with you as you go home. Okay, here we go. We're going to go just through what it says. Six things. Uh, the first one is um, pursue joy. So verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. How do you feel about being commanded to be joyful? It's a bit of a pain, isn't it? And when you're feeling a bit grumpy and someone says, oh, come on, cheer up. I'm going to punch them. He's like, shut up. And yet here's Paul. He's commanding us to be joyful. How, how, can, how can that be? 
But see, one of the reasons that we're not joyful is because we find ourselves looking at ourselves, trying to desperately believe in ourselves, trying to achieve stuff in our strength, knowing that we can't do it, rather than having eyes fixed on Christ and seeing his absolute worth and that all the riches of God's glory are in him. And here's the, I, I desperately, as, as you read this, this verse, Paul is so strong in this verse. He is commanding us to be joyful. And yet I wonder sometimes whether we settle for joylessness. We kind of go, oh, well, I don't really feel joy today. Never mind. And Paul said, no, rejoice in the Lord. Pursue joy. Back in the 80s when I grew up, um, and we used to sing Christian choruses, there was one we used to sing which had the bridge. The bridge was always fun. And the, the bridge of this song went, um, Oh, I feel like dancing. I'm not going to sing again because it's too painful twice. Oh, I feel like dancing. It's craziness, I know. But when the world has seen the truth, they will dance for joy like we're dancing now. Right? It's great, I had a good tune. Except that here's the problem with the song. Whenever I sang it as a teenager, I looked around the church and this is what we're doing. When the world has seen the truth... They'll dance with joy like we're dancing now. And I was like, I've got to say, I really hope the world doesn't peep its head around the corner now. <laughs> because we're setting the bar fairly low on the whole joy stakes. And we used to sing, you know, my, my joy just keeps on growing. And I remember thinking, I'm not sure mine does. So what is this joy? Well, here's the trouble, okay? If, if the message is believe in yourself, then what we do is we think, okay, I've got to find joy within me. I've got to find something in me to make me joyful. I've got to try and create joy. Come on, come on, be joyful. Perhaps we try and get some music or we try and get something, something, something. Well, no, actually, Paul says, no, that's not the secret. The secret's not you. The secret is that all of God's riches are in Christ for you. Therefore, your joy depends not on yourself, but on Christ, on seeing that in Christ are all the riches you need to be joyful. And therefore, joy, to pursue joy, does not become trying to create some experience. It becomes about obeying the command to rejoice. That might go like this. Some of you might have heard me say this before, because I think it's something so important. But I'm sure sometimes you've been in church and you don't feel joyful. Uh, I mean, perhaps you've never been in church and felt joyful, but sometimes you, you just... You know, you stand there and think, I just I can't be bothered to sing today. I don't really feel it. And the, and the trouble is that we just kind of stand there and go, okay, well, I'll just wait for the music to finish and I can sit down again. And I suggest a different approach. Try this. Next time you don't feel joyful, say, Heavenly Father, I don't feel joyful. I, I don't want to praise you today. I have no joy. I feel pretty miserable. I feel my heart is cold. I just couldn't. I don't care. Start being honest. Then say, I'm really sorry. Sorry that I don't feel joyful. Because you are so infinitely great. All of your riches are in Christ. I'm so sorry that I don't want to praise you today. There must be something seriously wrong in my heart. I'm really, really sorry. And say, Holy Spirit, please would you help me? Please would you give me joy? And then, and only then, open your mouth and start to sing. Sing with a defiance. You sing in the, and I love this, that joy in the Bible is a defiant thing. It's something where you say, in spite of all that I feel, in spite of all the situation I'm in, 
yet I will rejoice. That's Habakkuk. Even though there's no figs on the tree and no grapes on the vine, yet I will rejoice. And you can only do that when you realize that it's not about you, but it's about Christ and you get your eyes on Christ. Why not try that? I hope that's a practical help. I don't want to praise you. I'm sorry. Please help. Then let's go. And I reckon the more miserable you feel, the louder you should sing because of this defiance. Here's the next thing. Um, Display gentleness. Display gentleness. If everybody's about pursuing their own dreams, and if I'm trying to pursue my own dream and it's all about my ambition and my goal, then it's pretty stressful when someone else comes along into my orbit and threatens me because they might be better than me. And I will feel very angry towards them. And if I don't get what I think I'm entitled to, and if I don't get what I think I deserve, I'll be pretty annoyed. And that's why Paul, I think, says, no, let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness isn't about being weak and kind of, oh, hello, I'm gentle. Gentleness is about being strong enough to let go of your rights to say, you know what? Go for it. It's not about me. Gentleness is about giving up my rights in order to, be, to do good to others. I mean, think of Jesus, right? That's his gentleness. Jesus gave up all of his rights in order to come and die on a cross. That's gentleness. And yet, you know what? When someone pushes in front of me on the tube, I'm just so angry, so frustrated. And all they did was go one place in front of me. I've got to wait a minute for the next tube. I mean, seriously. So I want to suggest that some of us, we need to practice gentleness. And we practice gentleness in the kind of everyday things. So that when the big stuff comes, we're ready to be gentle. When someone irritates us at church, when someone does something wrong, when someone is hurtful or forget, when when someone pushes ahead of us, rather than kind of, I'm going to get my... Actually, you say, you know what? going to be gentle. Be known as someone who lets go, who's ready, quick to forgive, to do others good. After all, the Lord is near. The king of all gentleness is coming. Be gentle. Thirdly, uh, fight anxiety. This is what I mean. These are, these are big things, and I realize that we, you, can't, you will not be able to take all of these on. Um, But verse 6, all I'm doing is reading through the the passage. This isn't difficult. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious about anything. That is a huge statement. Our world is such a stressful place to be. Because if I keep telling, if, if I keep being told, you can do anything, you can do anything you want. You know, see how utterly stressful that is? And I get anxious and I get desperate. Right, this is why anxiety happens. Anxiety happens when the resources that I have do not match the situation that I face. That's what causes anxiety. When I face a situation and I can cope fine, I'm not worried about it. But when I face a situation and I do not have the resources necessary to meet the situation, that's when I feel anxious. 
And so Paul's, look at Paul's solution. His, his solution is not just, well, don't be anxious, get over it. His solution is, don't be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In other words, turn away from yourself and turn to one who does have the resources. Turn to the one who has all power to face the situation that you can't face. Now, some of us are real warriors. I know that. Some of us really struggle with this. Some of us are very laid back. We don't worry about anything. We should probably be a little bit more worried. (laughs) But many of us, anxiety is a huge issue. In fact, some of us will be worried about the fact it says, don't worry. That will stress some of us out. I'm so anxious because it says, don't be anxious. I'm so anxious. That's... We struggle with anxiety. And this is a real struggle. And I'm not saying this will be easy, but I'm pointing you towards how you begin to fight this. You fight anxiety. Look, when you feel anxious, feeling anxious is okay. That's not a problem. To feel anxious is fine. You're an anxious person, that's fine. Don't worry. It's what you do with your anxiety that matters. You see, some of the anxiety, your anxiety might drive you to Jesus. It might drive you to the one who has power. Your anxiety could be the reason that you find Jesus more, that you cling to him more tightly. What a great use of anxiety that would be. Of course, the anxiety becomes a problem when it drives you away from Jesus. And it drives you to yourself. And you begin to look within and to look at yourself and to look, get more and more stressed about yourself. So when you feel, next time you feel anxious, think, oh, great. It's an opportunity for me to run to Jesus. I'm not trying to be trite. I know that it's a battle. But you see, our anxiety, if it drives us to Jesus, that's good. Fight anxiety. And as you fight anxiety, remember to be thankful for all that God has done for you. And as you run to Christ, verse 7, you have this extraordinary promise, the peace of God transcending all understanding, guarding your hearts and your minds. Suddenly you find peace because God says, it's okay, I've got the resources. I will help you. Trust me. Uh, Number four, um, aim higher. We'll speed up a little bit. Um, Aim higher. Finally, brothers and sisters, this is verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I want you to notice in verse 8 that Paul doesn't say, look, try really hard not to think about bad things. That's how we normally do it, right? Try not to have bad thoughts. Try not to have angry thoughts. Try not to have impure thoughts. Try not to have bad thoughts. Neutral thoughts are fine. But just try not to have bad ones. Paul says, no, aim higher. Why do we settle for that? So we think it's okay. You know, I'll, I'll fill my time looking at um, guinea pigs that can skip on YouTube. And, you know, it's okay because then that's just neutral, right? That's just nothing. It doesn't matter. It's not bad. It's just neutral, harmless. Paul says, can we aim a little bit higher than that? Could we aim for something better? Could we aim for something that could be described as noble and right and admirable. Look, I don't think that's guinea pigs. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, I wonder sometimes if we settle, because we're 
I wonder if this is why it, why it happens, because we're so constantly told, rely on yourself, dream your dreams, go through your dreams, you can do anything you want, that actually you discover pretty soon on in life that you can't do whatever you want, and you begin to get disp- depressed, and so you find something to n- take your mind off it. And so you just watch rubbish. You fill your head with rubbish, because it's, you know, why not? There's nothing else to do. I say, yes, there is something else to do. There's something much, much, much better to do. Over here is Christ, in whom all the riches of God's glory dwell. If you want to know what is excellent, admirable, and lovely, and noble, and it's Christ, right? It starts there. To fill our heads with thoughts of Christ. No, I'm not saying that it's wrong to sit down and watch a movie. I'm not saying it's wrong to sit down and do... But we've got to aim higher in our thinking. How could you think of Christ more? You know, you've got a 15-minute walk to work. How could you help yourself to think about Christ in your walk to work? What a difference it would make to your day if you spent your walk to work, if you do walk. It might be more difficult on the tube because you're too busy being grumpy with people. But how could you fill your mind with Christ? Think of him. Let's go on to uh, number five. Um, learn contentment. Um, here's Paul. Um, you, you discover the end of this letter that he's really writing to thank you for the gift, thank them for the gifts that they've given. It's a thank you letter. Much better than any of my thank you letters, but it's a thank you letter. And, uh, but look what he says in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. My contentment goes up and down like this, right? Isn't that your experience? You know, something good happens and you're like, yeah, I feel so content, I'm really, really satisfied. And then anything goes wrong and it's like, ah, oh, I feel rubbish. Our contentment goes up and down because we tie our contentment to our circumstances. So I tie my contentment to the stuff that I have or the situation that I'm in. And so when I get a new thing, I get excited about my new thing, I think this is going to satisfy me forever. All I need is this new iPhone, then I'll be completely satisfied forever and ever and ever and ever until next week when they bring out the next iPhone. And then I'll be fed up with this one and want the next one because that's we tie our contentment to stuff. But what is the secret? The secret is to tie your, untie your contentment from circumstance and tie your contentment to Christ because he doesn't change. And if he doesn't change, neither will your contentment. Now, I know it sounds easy. I'm not, I, I, it's not easy. I know that. But the, I'm showing you this is the difference that realizing that it's not about you, it's about Christ. That's the difference that it makes. And Paul has learned that secret. He's learned to say, whether I've got loads or whether I've got nothing, I'm content because I've got Christ, and in him all the glorious riches of God dwell. So when you begin to find yourself being discontent, and perhaps there's people here this afternoon, and you think, I'm just not very content with my life. Well, perhaps you need to learn to untie your contentment, and even ask God, would you help me to untie my contentment from my things, tie it to Christ. One final one, and then we'll stop. Last one is embrace neediness. Um, so he says to them, "Look, it was great of you to send me this money. I've, I'm content. I, you know, I'm okay." But then he says, verse ten, "It was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need." If I said to you, um, 
you know, you, you said to me, tell me about Phil, what's Phil like? And I said, well, Phil, you know, he's, he's a nice guy. He's, he's quite needy. But that, that's not a compliment, right? We'd all go, ah, oh, it's a shame. Poor Phil. He's a needy bloke. Can I say, to be needy is to be a Christian. I'm not saying, you, well, you are. You, oh, now I've messed up. To be a Christian is to be needy. Paul, the great apostle Paul, was needy. He had needs. He needed the church in Philippians to send him money. They did. They sent him money. And he's not too proud to go, no, no, it's fine. I can cope with my own. He embraced it. He wrote to them to say thank you. He had needs. In fact, and this, this really amazed me a couple of weeks ago when I saw this. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus is crucified, there's this really interesting phrase. As he's hanging on the cross, the women are there. And it describes the women like this. These were the women who had followed him from Galilee and who had cared for his needs. Isn't that really interesting? That the eternal Son of God, right, the all-powerful Son of God, when he became a human being, he was needy. He had needs. He needed the mum and dad to care for him when he was a baby. He was needy, because to be human is to be needy. Jesus became human, fully human. He had needs. And he didn't say to the women from Galilee, oh, don't worry, I'm the eternal Son of God. I can get anything I want. Just leave me alone. Go home. He let them meet his needs. The Apostle Paul let the Philippians meet his need. And I want to encourage us to embrace neediness. Be willing to let others meet your needs. Too often we say, oh no, 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 it's fine. I don't want to be a burden. It's fine. Why don't you want to be a burden? Because you've been told over and over and over again that it's all about you. That you can do anything you want. You can climb the highest mountain. You don't want someone else helping you. Because that would be to be weak. To be a Christian is to be in need. In fact, to be human is to be needy. My kids, when they were born, were a burden to me. I rejoice in it. But they were a burden. My life became more difficult when we had kids. It's a burden to have children. And they were a burden to me. Great joy, but a burden. I'm hoping that at some point, that will change. <laughs> we can have a happy little time when we're friends with each other. Then do you know what will happen? I will then be a burden to them. Because that's what it means to be human. And one day I will need my children to care for me. Because that's how it works. Because to, to, when you say, I don't want to be a burden to you, you're denying what it means to be human. This is why our culture is obsessed with euthanasia, because we don't want to be a burden to anyone. Why? Why won't we let other people serve us? As a church family, why won't we let other people serve us? We need one another. And when someone offers to help you, let them help you. If someone offers to give you money, if someone offers to help pay for something, if someone offers to make you a meal, if someone offers something, let them do it. Because if you don't, you are denying them the opportunity to serve you. And look what Paul thinks about Christians serving one another. He says in verse 18, I've received full payment, I have more than enough, I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, 
Look at this. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. If I don't let you serve me, if I don't let you serve me, I'm preventing you from offering a fragrant offering to God. Therefore, when we serve one another, that is what we're doing. So it's very important for us to understand as a church family that we embrace neediness. We need one another. Because if we're obsessed with ourselves, then we'll never do that. But when we see that Christ is all that we need, we'll turn to him. And when we live like this, verse 20, the beauty is that all the glory goes to God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to pray together. Um, Why don't we think, just look at that list, six things. What is it that um, particularly you feel like this afternoon? You say, actually, I struggle with that. Just pick one. Maybe you sit there and go, all six, all six. Well, just pick one. Pick one and pray about it. Pick one and ask that God would help you. Um, I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus in, in Christ is all the riches of your glory. Father, thank you that Jesus was willing to become a human being, a needy human being. Father, we ask that you would please help us to find Christ to be enough for us. Help us to believe in him, to stop believing in ourselves and to believe in Christ. We thank you for this secret and we pray that we'd embrace it in Jesus' name. Amen.